and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us, and we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know how or who put the money into our sacks. And he replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I receive your money. And then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their, their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. And then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out. And controlling himself, he said, serve the food. They served him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. And this is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. I want to uh, praise God this morning. So awesome to be sons and daughters. Of Christ Jesus. I also want to uh, honor Pastor Luke, um, good friend and dear brother in Christ. And I want to thank you, Will and Kevin and the elders and uh, the other staff for really the privilege of the opportunity to be here this morning and to share God's word with you. And um, I want to just invite you um, not just to reflect on this very long passage from God's Word, but 
to reflect in your heart on your story. Our stories uh, are filled. Our stories are filled uh, with life experiences. And some of those experiences are really great. And some of those experiences are really difficult. And the reality is, is that no one journeys through this broken and fallen world without getting wounded. Wounds are painful experiences, painful memories that still hurt. We're deeply affected by what happens to us through the sins and the mistakes of others throughout our story, throughout our lifetime. We've been wounded. Belittlement, neglect, manipulation, abandonment, rejection, betrayal, abuse, prejudice, isolation, condemnation. These painful experiences inflict a deep and a devastating wound in the heart. And the deeper the wound, the more that wound has power, has control over us and unhealed, our past wounding rears up in the present. Uh, In his book, some of y'all might have read it, uh, The Sacred Romance, John Eldridge writes, own your woundedness or risk inflicting your woundedness on others. And that's where we find ourselves in our message series this morning. Genesis 43 is about wounding. How we carry wounds in our heart. How we inflict our wounding on others. And by God's goodness and grace, how God heals us of our wounds and breaks the cycle of wounding in and through our lives. They, um, they say that uh, preachers preach what they need to hear, and I have plenty of wounding that needs healed. And so I want to invite you um, to join me in crying out to the presence of the Lord in this place for a deep experience of his love this morning as we encounter him through his word and in the power of the Spirit. So please pray with me. Father, we ask for the grace to draw near and rest in your loving gaze. Come, Holy Spirit. We welcome your presence here. We welcome you to search our hearts and gently show us our woundedness. And Lord Jesus, we turn to you because we know that by your wounds, you cleanse us and heal us. And so by your word and your spirit, consecrate us and set us free. That we might be all who you've created and redeemed us to be for your glory and our joy, we pray. Amen. So Genesis 43 is about three men, Jacob, Judah, and Joseph, who own their woundedness. Experience God's healing in their hearts and contribute to the healing of one another. This is such an amazing moment in God's story and our place within it. 
Um, before we, we delve too far into this story, uh, just a little bit of a reminder of the wounds that these men carry in their heart. All right, Jacob, he's his mother's favorite. His twin brother Esau is his father's favorite. And favoritism, as you remember, creates all kind of jealousy and rivalry and enmity and division. And wounded by favoritism, Jacob seeks acceptance and approval through deception. He tricks Esau into selling his birthright. He pretends to be Esau and tricks Isaac into giving him the firstborn blessing. And so deceiving his brother and his father, he deeply wounds them. Jacob goes from deceiver to being deceived. Remember how Laban tricks Jacob into marrying Leah instead of his favorite daughter, Rachel? Favoritism not only wounds Jacob's heart, he receives more wounding and passes it on, and he passes that wounding down to his children. Jacob favors his favorite son, Joseph, which inflicts further wounding and even more jealousy and rivalry and enmity and division in the family. Wounded people wound people. Judah, fourth son of Jacob. His older brothers lose favor with their father. Remember Simeon and Levi after they attack Shechem and Reuben after he defiles his father's bed. So Judah's the next in line to be the head of the household. And the only thing that stands in his way is... I know I'm not alone. Come on now. Joseph, right? So Judah devises his plan to sell Joseph into slavery. And so like his father Jacob... Judah deceives his brother and his father, and in doing so, he deeply wounds them. Judah also reaps what he sows, going from deceiver to being deceived, when Tamar tricks him last week, remember, becomes pregnant and has twins, no less. Wounded people wound people. Joseph, he carries some wounds too, right? As a favorite son... Joseph is lavished with special gifts. His brothers hate him for it. They reject him and betray him. As Potiphar's favorite servant, Joseph is given authority and responsibility in a new place, in a new setting. But Potiphar's wife becomes enamored with him, sabotages him, and falsely accuses him. Then Joseph becomes the favorite in prison, the most like prisoner And he provides help and care for the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And Joseph simply asks that they remember him to Pharaoh, but they neglect him and betray him. Do do you see the wounding? Do you see the effects that it has on these men's hearts and how it gets passed down? The Bible calls this generational sin. Jacob, Judah, and Joseph carry deep wounds. Deceit, sabotage, betrayal, abandonment. And in their woundedness, Jacob and Judah keep on sinning egregiously. Joseph is just carrying these wounds and is absolutely brokenhearted. And yet, in Genesis 43, we see something different. We see a remarkable change. Jacob, Judah, and Joseph are transformed men. Did you hear it? 
I want to encourage you, if you don't already have your Bibles open, open your Bibles to Genesis 43, uh, verses 1 and 2. The drought remains, the famine continues. Jacob has a super large family to feed, including his sons and wives and grandchildren. There are probably like 70 of them. And so Jacob is forced to send his sons back to Egypt to buy more grain. Look at verses 3 through 10. This is a significant moment for Judah. Judah has a changed heart. Look what the Lord has done. Remember, Judah was the one who came up with the idea to sell Joseph into slavery for like 20 pieces of silver. It's not lost on us that the Greek name for Judah is Judas. He's a traitor. And he betrays his own brother. But now, rather than taking advantage of his brothers, Judah takes responsibility for them. Rather than betray Simeon, Judah takes the initiative to rescue him and set him free from prison. And rather than use Benjamin for his own shield or protection, Judah vows to defend him even if it costs him his life. This is a man whose heart has been healed and reoriented to the Lord and the Lord's purposes. It's not a conniving, manipulative traitor seeking to advance his self-interest. This is a vulnerable, faithful man of integrity who seeks to preserve, protect, and make peace. Judah is now living into his true identity and reflecting the heart and the character of God. Wounded people wound people. Healed people heal people. Look at verses 11 through 15. This is a significant moment for Jacob. Jacob has a changed heart. He's been through a lot. And the Lord has changed his heart. He trusts God to work for the good and to provide for his family. He trusts those closest to him. He shares his burdens and he allows them to help. He gives Judah responsibility and authority. And he uses all of his resources to support it. And he extends lavish generosity to those in Egypt who could have seriously hurt him. I mean, like almonds. That's good stuff, man. This is a man whose heart has been healed by the Lord and reoriented to the Lord and the Lord's purposes. This isn't a selfish, deceitful, resentful grudge holder. This is a humble, honest, fully surrendered servant whose heart is full of faith in the goodness of God. He surrenders control and yields to the Lord and his will. Jacob is living into his true identity and he's reflecting the heart of God by doing so. Wounded people wound people. Healed people participate in the healing of people. Look at verses 16 through 34. This is a significant moment for Joseph too. At the heart of his brokenheartedness. If there was ever a moment for I told you so. 
If there was ever an opportunity to get the satisfaction of revenge, if Joseph wanted to prove himself and lord it over his brothers, this was the time. I mean, this is it. At the hands of his brothers, Joseph has experienced rejection and abandonment and betrayal. He's experienced isolation in a foreign land, suffering in prison, the constant fear of death at the hands of Pharaoh. If there was ever a moment to turn the tables and use his newly given power and authority to change his story, this was the time. But that's not who Joseph is. Joseph is a man who knows the deep, abiding, faithful, steadfast love of the Lord. He knows that God's with him and for him and is going to work things out for the good, regardless of how dark his circumstances might be. Joseph is a man whose heart is broken, but whose heart is still full of gratitude and appreciation for all the many ways that God faithfully, consistently, continually shows him kindness and mercy. Joseph knows the approval, the delight, the blessing of God. And so Joseph chooses to love his brothers as God loves him. This is so good. The extra grain is explained as an undeserved gift of grace. The brothers are treated with honor, even better than family. They bow down, that makes twice, and Joseph's boyhood dream becomes a reality. Simeon is released from prison. Joseph is absolutely overwhelmed when he sees Benjamin. And like the parable of the prodigal son, sacred beasts are slayed and a great feast is prepared. This is a party, y'all. Joseph isn't harboring lingering resentment. He, He doesn't seek to punish his brothers. He's so overwhelmed with love. He's moved to tears. Twice. And not tiny tears either, right? Like these are big, old, ugly, healing kind of tears. Joseph has to leave the room twice. So I don't freak anybody out. Joseph returns evil with good. He throws a party, a celebration of acceptance and approval and blessing. It's a feast of gratitude for the God who saves. It's a feast for the reunion of his family. And it's a feast that points to the ultimate feast. Wounded people, wound people. Healed people, participate in the healing of people. Jacob, Judah, and Joseph own their woundedness. Each in his own way. They acknowledge their pain. They wrestle with God and they surrender to God's love and God's leadership. And God heals them. He changes their hearts. They are no longer who they once were, but who God has forgiven and redeemed them to be for God's glory, for their joy, for the participation in God's story, and in particular, the saving of many nations. With healed hearts, 
cleansed and strengthened to be their best and fullest selves, they participate in the healing of one another. The application of Genesis 43 isn't just to hear the word, but to hear the word and with a heart full of faith that comes from the word to put it into practice and invite the Lord to do the same for you, for me. Because each of us has a story full of painful circumstances. And even in the painful circumstances, especially in the circumstance, painful circumstances, God draws near. What wound do you carry in your heart? There are lots of types of wounds, many kinds of wounder. A wounder is someone who has power and influence over you through what they said or did or by what they didn't say or didn't do. And in that moment, it's like a package is delivered to the doorstep of your heart and its message is loaded with lies and condemnation and shame. And since we don't know any better, especially when we're young, we sign for that package. We receive the wound in our heart. We believe the negative message and it breaks our spirit. And that package... These packages get passed along from one wounded heart. A mom, a dad, a sibling, a teacher, a coach, or a friend. One wounded heart to another. I was meeting with uh, a friend earlier this week, and he was telling the story um, of his childhood. And when he was in high school... His parents got divorced and both of them moved to different cities and he stayed in his own town in his own house pretty much all by himself most of the time. And in his hurt, in his woundedness, he made some bad choices about what he consumed and who he hung out with. And he told me that because of that season in his life, he earned a nickname and everybody in his family calls him the little jerk. And I said, what? And he's like, yeah, the little jerk, it's not a big deal. And I said, bro, it is a big deal. Oh, no, 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 it's, it's not a big deal. Bro, it is a big deal because that's not who you are. What? Yeah, man, you're not a little jerk. You're a dear and precious beloved son of the Father in Christ Jesus. He loves you. He cares for you. You're you're not a little jerk. You were neglected and abandoned. And you did the absolute best that you possibly could. But you are not a little jerk. He has a wound. And his pathway forward wasn't to minimize his wound or try and manage his wound. His pathway forward was to acknowledge and own his wounding and ask God to heal his wound and be set free from the effects of this wound that was creeping into the presence and hindering his relationship with God, his marriage, his kids, and others around him. Y'all, we are all wounded people. Y'all ever read Henry Nouwen? 
He's got a great book called The Wounded Healer. And in The Wounded Healer, now it says this, nobody escapes being wounded. We're all wounded people, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. The main question is not, how can we hide our wounds so we don't have to be embarrassed, but how can we put our woundedness in the service of others? When our wounds cease to be a source of shame and become a source of healing, we've become wounded healers. Jesus is God's wounded healer. (laughs) Through his wounds, we are healed. Jesus' suffering and death brought joy and life. His humiliation brought glory. His rejection brought a community of love. And as followers of Jesus, we can also allow our wounds to bring healing to others. Y'all, God knows we're hurt. He knows we've been wounded. He sees us. He loves us. And he has the desire and the ability to heal us. That's who God is. That's what he does. Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 147, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. That is why Jesus comes. To proclaim good news for the needy, to set captives free, to give sight to the blind and heal the wounds of the brokenhearted. The implication is that we must need it. I need it. It's messy work. But God loves to siphon and drain the bitterness and the resentment and unforgiveness of hurt that oozes from a wounded heart. He's the great physician and he heals yesterday and today that we might forever be healed. How does God do it? Love. The healing love of forgiveness. God's forgiving love cleanses and heals our wounds. God's healing, forgiving love sets us free from everything that once held us back. His healing, forgiving love gives us the desire and the ability to forgive and be a part of the healing of those who wounded us. Y'all, Jesus is the better Jacob. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, trusting God and living out his identity and purpose, surrendered to the will of God. Jesus is the better Judah. He didn't abandon us or forsake us. He took responsibility and came to rescue us with the greatest love, a love that lays down his life for his friend. Jesus is the better Joseph. He didn't count our sins against us. He forgave us and reconciled us with God. And he celebrated us with great joy and delight and invites us to continue in his ministry of reconciliation. 
this morning, will you own your woundedness? Turn to the mercy and the love of God and seek healing. Ask Jesus to forgive you as you have, or to help you forgive as you have been forgiven. And begin that sacred journey or a new leg of that sacred journey. Joining Jesus as a wounded healer. One of the, uh, the best books that I, I read on sabbatical is by um, a woman named Lisa Turkhurst. It's called Forgiving What You Can't Forget. She says this, We all have a story, and revisiting the past can be scary, but if we want to fully heal, we need to dig into our stories. Forgiveness isn't just about what's in front of us. Sometimes a bigger part of the journey is uncovering what's informing us from long ago. Woven through our experiences is a connected thread that pulls the beliefs we formed from our past into the very present moments of today. But you can still forgive, even if you can't forget. You can still forgive, even if it's not received or reciprocated. You can still forgive, even if it doesn't restore the relationship. You can still say, I forgive you. Because in the split second of that utterance, evil is arrested, heaven touches earth, and the richest evidence of the truth of the gospel reverberates not just in that day, but for generations to come. Forgiveness is what God designs to heal our broken and hurting heart and break its cycle of repetition. When I allow God's loving forgiveness to flow into me, it not only cleanses and purifies me, it also flows through me. So the more of God's forgiveness that flows into me, the more of God's forgiveness flows through me, and I have what I need and don't otherwise have to forgive those as Christ has forgiven me. So I have a choice to make about the hurt passed on to me. Option one, I can attach to that hurt, let it store up and metastasize in my heart, and then pass on an even more painful variant of the wound to others. Or option two, I can acknowledge the wound, seek the Lord for healing, and stop the badness. The antidote is Jesus. The love of God in Jesus Christ. And what's on me is receiving it. The hurt you have experienced is real. But it's taken enough from you. It's caused enough pain. It's held you down and held you back long enough. And your heart is much too beautiful to grow the weeds of resentment and bitterness. You can't rewind your life and undo what happened, but you can surrender to the love of God in Christ. You can ask God to flood your heart with the forgiving love of Jesus and with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can forgive as Christ has forgiven you. You can decide that the one who hurt you doesn't get to ruin the rest of your life or steal the good memories you've collected. You can put an end to it. Jesus has already done it. It's finished. Will you receive it? Now, I want to share with you something that's 
been really helpful to me. And uh, I want to invite you to the extent that you're comfortable to kind of walk through it with me this morning as we close, but also really just to plant a seed, that this is something that you can do for the rest of the week, for the rest of the month, for the rest of your life. Um, It's also something that you might want to find someone to accompany you with. Um, but one of the things that I've, I do, in fact, I've done it twice already this year, is uh, a forgiveness fire. Uh, and what I do is I take out a piece of paper and I make a list of all the people that I need to forgive. And next to each name, I write what I needed from them, but what they were unable or unwilling to give to me. And then I ask for the Spirit to search my heart and to give me the grace to empathize with them from Jesus' perspective, to see them as Christ sees them. And then one by one, name by name, offense by offense, hurt by hurt, I cancel the debt through the blood of Jesus' cross. And I ask Jesus to take away that wound and replace it with his love and be the ultimate, ultimate satisfaction that I need. And so I want to encourage you to have a forgiveness fire sometime as the Spirit leads you with the accompaniment of Christ and maybe somebody else. But this morning as we close, I just want to invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart, to put somebody's name on your heart. Maybe even close your eyes if you're comfortable and see if the Holy Spirit can captivate your imagination and kind of give you a picture of them in your mind's eye. And I want to walk you through some healing prayer around forgiveness. I just want to invite you to bow your head and pray with me.